Chapter One of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter One Parentage Father's Marriage. I was born in St. John's, New Brunswick, in the year 1835. My father was from the city of Dublin, Ireland, where he spent his youth and received an education in accordance with the strictest rules of Roman Catholic faith and practice. Early manhood, however, found him dissatisfied with his native country, longing for other scenes and distant climes. He therefore left Ireland, and came to Quebec. Here he soon became acquainted with Captain Willard, a wealthy English gentleman, who, finding him a stranger in a strange land, kindly opened his door, and gave him employment and a home. Little did he think that in doing so he was warming in his bosom a viper whose poisonous fangs would, ere long, fasten on his very heart-strings and bring down his grey hairs with sorrow to the grave his only child was a lovely daughter of fourteen from what i have heard of her i think she must have been very beautiful in person quiet gentle and unassuming in her deportment and her disposition amiable and affectionate she was exceedingly romantic and her mental powers were almost, if not entirely, uncultivated. Still, she possessed sufficient strength of character to enable her to form a deep, ardent, and permanent attachment. The young stranger gazed upon her with admiring eyes, and soon began to whisper in her ear the flattering tale of love. This, of course, her parents could not approve, what give their darling to a stranger never no never what could they do without her grieved that their kindness should have been thus returned they bade him go his way and leave their child in peace he did go but like a thief he returned in the darkness of midnight he stole to her chamber and bore away from the home of her childhood a father's joy, a mother's pride. Who can tell the anguish of their souls when they entered that deserted chamber? How desolate their lonely hearthstone! How dark the home where her presence had scattered rainbow hues! A terrible blow it was to Captain Willard, a very bitter thing, thus to have his cherished plans frustrated his brightest hopes destroyed, to see the very sun of his existence go down at midday in clouds and darkness. Yes, to the stern father, this sad event brought bitter, bitter grief. But to the mother, that tender, affectionate mother, it was death, yea, more than death for reason at the first shock reeled and tottered on its throne 
Then, as days and weeks passed by, and still the loved one did not return, when every effort to find her had been made in vain, then the dread certainty settled down upon her soul that her child was lost to her for ever. Hope gave place to despair, and she became from that time a raving maniac. At length death came to her relief, and her husband was left alone. Six weary years passed over the lonely man, and then he rejoiced in the intelligence that his child was still living with her husband at St. John's. He immediately wrote to her, imploring her to return to her old home, and with the light of her presence dispel the gloom of his dwelling. Accordingly she left St. John's, and in company with her husband returned to her father. I was then about a year and a half old, but I have so often heard these facts related by my father and grandfather, they are indelibly impressed upon my mind, and will never be erased from my memory. My mother now thought her trouble at an end, that in future she should enjoy the happiness she once anticipated. But alas, for all human prospects, ere one short month had passed, difficulties arose in consequence of the difference in their religious opinions. Captain Willard was a firm Protestant, while my father was quite as firm in his belief of the principles of the Roman Catholics. Can two walk together except they be agreed? They parted in anger, and my father again became a wanderer, leaving his wife and child with his father-in-law. But my mother was a faithful, devoted wife. Her husband was her heart's chosen idol, whom she loved too well to think of being separated from. She therefore left her father's house, with all its luxuries and enjoyments, to follow the fortunes of one who was certainly unworthy of the pure affection thus lavished upon him. As her health had been delicate for the last two years, she concluded to leave me with her father for a short time, intending to send for me as soon as she was in a situation to take care of me. But this was not to be. Death called her away, and I saw my mother no more till her corpse was brought back and buried in her father's garden. Two years I remained with my grandfather, and from him I received the most affectionate and devoted attention. My father at length opened a saloon for the sale of porter, and hired a black woman to do his work. He then came for me. My grandfather entreated that I might be allowed to remain. Well he knew that my father was not the man to be entrusted with the care of a child, that a porter house was no place for me, for he was quite sure that stronger liquors than porter were there drank and sold. In fact, it was said that my father was himself a living evidence of this. 
but it is of a parent I am speaking, and whatever failings the world may have seen in him, to me he was a kind and tender father. The years I spent with him were the happiest of my life. On memory's page they stand out in bold relief, strikingly contrasting with the wretchedness of my after-life. And though I cannot forget that his own rash act brought this wretchedness upon me, still I believe his motives were good. I know that he loved me, and every remembrance of his kindness, and those few bright days of childhood, I have carefully cherished as a sacred thing. He did not, however, succeed in the business he had undertaken, but lost his property and was at length compelled to give up his saloon. I was then placed in a Roman Catholic family, where he often visited, and ever appeared to feel for me the most devoted attachment. One day he came to see me in a state of partial intoxication. I did not then know why his face was so red and his breath so offensive, but I know now that he was under the influence of ardent spirits. The woman with whom I boarded, seeing his condition and being a good Catholic, resolved to make the most of the occasion for the benefit of the nunnery. She therefore said to him, You are not capable of bringing up that child. Why don't you give her to priest Dow? Will he take her? asked my father. Yes, she replied. He will put her into the nunnery, and the nuns will take better care of her than you can. On what condition will they take her? he asked. Give the priest one hundred dollars, replied the artful woman, and he will take care of her as long as she lives. This seemed a very plausible story, but I am sure my father did not realize what he was doing. Had he waited for a little reflection, he would never have consented to such an arrangement, and my fate would have been quite different. But as it was, he immediately sent for the priest, and gave me to him, to be provided for as his own child until I was of age. I was then to be allowed to go out into the world if I chose. To this Priest Dow consented in consideration of one hundred dollars, which he received together with a good bed and bedding. My mother's gold earrings were also entrusted to his care, until I should be old enough to wear them, but I never saw them again, although I was at that time but six years old, I remember perfectly all that passed on that memorable occasion. I did not then comprehend the full meaning of what was said, but I understood enough to fill my heart with sorrow and apprehension. When their bargain was completed, Priest Dow called me to him, saying, with a smile, You are a stubborn little girl, I guess, a little naughty, sometimes are you not surprised and alarmed i replied no sir he then took hold of my hair which was rather short 
drew it back from my forehead with a force that brought the tears to my eyes, and pressing his hand heavily on my head, he asked again if I was not sometimes a little willful and disobedient. I was so much frightened at this, I turned to my father, and with tears and sobs entreated him not to send me away with that man, but allow me to stay at home with him. He drew me to his bosom, wiped away my tears, and sought to quiet my fears by assuring me that I would have a good and pleasant home, that the nuns would take better care of me than he could, and that he would often come to see me. Thus, by the aid of flattery on one side, and sugar-plums on the other, they persuaded me at last to accompany the priest to the white nunnery, St. Paul's Street, Quebec. I was too young to realize the sad change in my situation, or to anticipate the trials and privations that awaited me. But I was deeply grieved thus to leave my father, my only real friend, my mother being dead, and my grandfather a heretic, whom I had been taught to regard with the utmost abhorrence. Little, however, did I think that this was a last farewell. But such it was. Though he had promised to come often to see me, I never saw my father again, never even heard from him, and now I do not know whether he is dead or alive. End of chapter 1